There are some handouts on the table back there. You can grab one if you'd like. This is a very familiar passage and a passage that um, pretty much every time I do premarital counseling, I take a, take a couple through this passage. And it is a... Um, um, it's a very valuable, I believe, a very valuable passage for this kind of stuff. Uh, it's the passage on love, 1 Corinthians 13. So take your Bible, turn there, and I have some notes for you. Um, and um, I, I think really just how we live with one another is so vital. If you look at the context, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about spiritual gifts. He details this um, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And he explains uh, spiritual gifts in chapter 12. And then at the end of chapter 12, verse 31, he says, earnestly desire the best gifts. And then he says what? And yet I show you a more excellent way. And, and really what follows 1 Corinthians 13 is the excellent way of living in the church, okay? Living among believers and really living with others as well. I think this, this chapter can be really applied in marriage in any kind of relationships and so let's begin by uh, patterning, let's pattern our love after biblical love, not worldly love. The world's way of loving is, is not a biblical way of loving. So let's take a look at this. Uh, let's read the first three verses, and then we will dive in. I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Father, I pray you give us wisdom as we look at your word tonight. Give us understanding as we unfold this. I pray that you would prick our hearts where we have been unloving and let us truly love one another as you would have us love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first thing I have, first point, is simply the value of love. Uh, we see that in these three uh, statements. You'll notice uh, verse 1, uh, speaking with the tongues of men and of angels. What, do you think, what is that talking about, uh, uh, speaking with the tongues of men and of angels? Tongues are a, uh, another word for language, okay? Tongues are a, a word of language. And when he says uh, men and of angels, so he's talking about speaking, Right? Uh, some people take this term, speaking tongues of angels, to be like some, some, something related to uh, the book of Acts, uh, where the people are speaking in tongues. I don't personally take that. I, I think that the passage could be just taken on its own when he says, speaking the tongues of men and of angels, meaning that he has great speech, great speech abilities. That's one way of taking it. Now, um, if he, he says, if I can have this tremendous speech, if my speech is so good that I speak with the tongues, with the speech of men and of angels, but ha- don't have love, don't have this one ingredient, what is my speech like? He gives two, two illustrations. What are they? Sounding brass. Okay, sounding brass or a what? Clanging cymbal. Okay, um, now... When you talk about a sounding brass, uh, he's not talking about a trumpet. He's talking about another kind of brass. What is he talking about? Somebody might have a different translation there. 
a noisy gong. I, that's one of the, tra- I love that. Some translations says a noisy gong. Have you ever, you've heard a gong before? You've seen the Chinese gong? Big brass, big brass circle, and they hit it with a big hammer, right? Um, what pitch does a gong uh, play? He just goes, om, right? <laughs> uh, is, it, is, it, is it in tune? Can you tune a gong? Right? No. It'd be, it'd be foolishness. I, I mean, maybe. Where, Bridget, can you tune a gong? Is that possible? I don't think. She's a musician. She says she doesn't think so. I don't think you can tune a gong. Okay? Can you tune it? There's a symbol right there. Can you tune a symbol? No. It just makes no. Like, it's, it's a noise. Now, it has a certain color to it, and it has a certain sound to it, but there's a reason there's no concerto for solo gong, Right? But there is, there are, there are concert, there's concert music for violins and pianos and human voices and things like that, because we can communicate with our, with our voices and with musical instruments in certain ways. We can communicate, and that's what he's saying here. Our speech is communicative. We, we can communicate, but if we don't have love while we're communicating with this great um, speech, speech of men and of angels, if we don't have this essential ingredient of love, our speech is like hitting a, a, a symbol. It communicates nothing. It's just noise. Does that make sense? You see the picture? Without that essential ingredient, all this speech that is supposed to communicate loses all of its impact. So I, I have here, without love, our speech means nothing. There is, there's no, no meaning to it. There's no meaning to it if we, if we take out love. Um, look at verse 2. He says, and though I have, let's, let's look at these things. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all wisdom and knowledge and have all what? Faith so as I could remove mountains. Look at the three here and give me uh, how, how, how much do I have? What kind of a gift does he say here? The gift of prophecy and understand. I think these are connected probably. Understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Does anyone understand all mysteries and all knowledge except God? My kids are always like, well, God. Oh, yes, of course. Do mountains? Does anybody have that kind of faith, right? I mean, that's Jesus, what Jesus prescribes as faith. Um, these are extreme statements. These are the best, the highest level gifts. This is spiritual, I call it spiritual abilities. And look at what he says. If you can do all these things, but have not love. Okay, read it carefully. What does he say? I am nothing. Okay, so what, what do... Um, the first one. The first one says, "I have become this," meaning that I am communicating nothing. The second one says, "I am nothing." Why do you think? He, why do you think he would go to that level? Why do you think he would say that? Because this is a great person. Someone who can do these things is pretty significant. Okay. Then there's a third. Okay. So so far we've had without love our speech means nothing. Without love our abilities mean nothing. And then verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned. So we have two different gifts. All my goods and then my own body. It's like I could give my body over to be burned. If I could do those two things, yet don't have love, what's the result? It profits me nothing. It doesn't benefit me. 
So all my goods, I give all my goods to feed the poor. I've done this really good thing in giving all that I have. And there's an understanding that that actually profits me towards spiritual or towards heavenly treasures. And he's saying, if I do all these things, if I give of myself, and in all this, I, I give and give and give, I will not gain, I will not receive anything back, I will not benefit or profit from any of this if I don't have love. So this is the, the value of love. Love is a, such an essential ingredient that without it, everything gets ruined. It actually gets reversed. So your speech can be great, but without love, it's noise. Okay, your gifts, they're great, but without love, it's nothing. You mean nothing. And your gifts, they're fine, but if you give without love, then it doesn't profit you at all. Very, very important. So since we've established that love is important, this is where I really want to spend some time. Let's look at the beauty of love, what I call here the surpassing beauty of love or the characteristics of love. Let's walk through these here, and some of you have um, read these before, but uh, we have two positives. Love, in fact, let's have somebody read the verse 4 for us. Who wants to read verse 4? Nice and loud. Yes, sir. Perfect. The first two are positives. And charity here is another word for love. It's agape love. We could have defined that at the beginning as a giving kind of love. Um, charity is King James Version. Most of our other translations say love. Charity is great, actually. Good translation because what do we, when we say charity today, what are we referring to? If I say, I, I, I went to go help a charity, what am I talking about? An, an organization that does what? What is their primary job? gifts, right? And so charity, this idea of love that gives, it's not just love that's, that's you know, uh, oh, I fell in love with so-and-so. No, no, no. It's an it's a action over here. And we'll see that charity or love suffers long. That means love is patient and is kind. Um, one fascinating detail about these uh, two things is that love being that it is patient, it demonstrates itself to others by willingness to allow people to grow and not demanding perfection. It's being easy, easy on other people. Okay, when the temptation is to be difficult with them, it's to be easy on people. Are you hard on people? Okay, are you demanding on people? Love is patient. Love gives people time to grow. And love is kind. And, and that means that love does not say things or do things that are intentionally hurtful. Love thinks about others and does whatever it's possible to be kind and to be loving. And these two phrases are actually verbal ideas in Greek, which is fascinating. It's like love is patienting. Love is kinding. These are are actions. So love does these things. What What is love not? If we have to get into the nots here, love does not Envy or boast, and my Bible says love does not parade itself, okay, is not puffed up. Um, can somebody read Romans twelve fifteen? It's a little bit cross-reference here. I hope this is the right reference. Somebody got it? Yeah. Yeah, yes, sir. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Okay. Rejoice with those who do rejoice and weep with those who weep. Envying and boasting is being upset when someone succeeds, right? Being angry when someone else succeeds and being happy when they fail. 
And what the Bible says we ought to do is what? When someone succeeds, rejoice. When someone fails, weep. So this is a way you can teach your kids. When your kids come home and their other sibling got to have ice cream and they didn't, how do they respond? Do they respond, I am so happy for you that you got to experience the joy of sugar and I didn't. You know what? That's okay because you got to experience joy and because you're happy, I'm happy. Is that how kids respond? No. How do kids respond? Well, it's not fair. I want some. I mean, we just had this conversation just like yesterday. So this is fresh on my mind. But what are we supposed to do? When someone does well, when someone gets something good, when someone gets a gift, we rejoice with them. We should not be up there thinking, well, I wish, I, I wish that was me. Oh, I can't believe they're the ones that got the promotion of all people, you know, or whatever. We, we do think that way, don't we? And the Bible calls us, though, to love, when we love people, we should be rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Don't be arrogant. Don't envy or boast. Don't wish that you had someone else's position. Don't boast of yourself. Just talking about yourself is a sure way to boast. If you struggle with being prideful, let me give you a challenge. When you talk to people, talk to them about them. Don't talk to them about you. Simple. If you struggle with pride, when you talk to people, just ask them questions about themselves. Don't, if, you, if you find yourself talking about yourself all the time, you might be prideful. Just a really simple thing that will help you direct things away from talking about yourself and boasting. Let's keep going. Uh, envy or boast is not arrogant or rude, okay? Uh, love is not arrogant or rude. It does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own is the next one. But arrogant or rude is behaving rudely. Love is, is not um, uh, tooting its own horn out of pride. It's not um, uh, rude and, 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 and angry with someone else. Uh, but the other, this, other, this next passage is, is interesting. Does not insist on its own way. It's not selfish. Okay, it's not selfish. Selfishness does not work with love. If you demand things to be done your way, that's not loving um, Keep going is not irritable or resentful, he says, is not provoked. How, how quickly are you offended or irritated? Okay, just let that sink in for a second. It, it, it's, it's very convicting to think how quickly we get irritated with other people. I can get irritated really fast, and that's, that's bad. That's not showing love, right? Um, uh, love is not seeking its own, is not provoked, is not irritable or resentful, thinks no evil. Okay, what does that mean? Is there any other translation you have of that passage? I forgot to include that on the bullet, sorry about that. There's another way of looking at that particular phrase, thinks no evil. It's that, and since nobody's, do you have it, Kedron? You raise it? Uh, not necessarily. It's keeping a record of wrongs is more like the idea. Um, thinking on evil means that you keep a little black book, and you, you calculate when people have wronged you or crossed you, okay? And, and I know people who, who build their identity around that. that. My dad said I'd never turn out to be something, and look at me now, okay? That, that, is, that is not loving, that is living your life in reaction to something, that will come back to bite you. Uh, that is not biblical love. Um, so take, take into account a wrong suffered is a way of thinking about that. Uh, 
does not rejoice, let's keep going, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Uh, that means that you, you are thankful for good things, you, you, you are happy about good things. And let's look at what, what love does. This is what love is, now what love does, beginning in verse 7. I love this part bears all things. To bear something means to endure something with silence. It means you don't have to nitpick at other people is what I put in your notes there. But bears all things. Now, I want to ask you what this next phrase means. Bears all things, believes all things. What in the world does that mean? Are you supposed to just be gullible. The guy on the TV says for three payments of $9.99, I can get any stain out of any clothes. I got to believe all things if I'm going to be a Christian, so I'm buying it today. I mean, that's a deal. Is that what he's talking about? I don't think so, but you're like, maybe? <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, what, what could it mean? Yeah, Scott? Yeah, give someone the benefit of the doubt. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah? Yeah? I have a very specific thing I'm thinking about, which we're going to spend a few minutes talking about, okay? And that something I've noticed as we talk to couples, this is especially bad with couples. And as I talk, I have not talked to any of your spouses about this. I am not listening in your car. I actually talked about this with somebody recently, and they said, Were you, we actually had this conversation yesterday. Okay, so what way I like to describe this uh, is that Believes all things means that you are making a decision not to be cynical in your communication. Meaning that you're going to deal with what they're saying in good faith. So when they say something, you take them at their word. Let me give you an example. You're you're not assuming someone's lying. You're assuming they're telling the truth. So your spouse asks you, here's a scenario, ready? Spouse says, hey, honey, have you seen the keys? And how do you respond? So the unbiblical response would be, why do you always blame me for losing the keys? You see what happened there? The spouse says, hey, honey, where are the keys? And what, is, what does the other spouse say? Why do you always blame me for losing the keys? Now, did, did this, let's just say the husband says, honey, have you seen the keys? And the wife is not, just for sake of example, okay? This is not picking on anybody. Let's say the husband says, honey, have you seen my keys? And she says, why do you always blame me for losing the keys? What has happened in that, in that conversation, in that split second? She took a big jump because what did he say? Where are the keys? Do you, actually, he didn't say where are the keys. He said, do you know where the keys are? He's asking a question. Now, and, and what did she hear? Where did you put the keys? You had the keys last, and where did you put them? Okay. And so she, she is hearing something that he didn't say, and she's misinterpreting his words because probably he's bl- has he probably blamed her in the past in this scenario, this imaginary scenario of this imaginary couple that doesn't totally doesn't exist? Has 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 he probably blamed her in the past for losing keys or something? Probably. And so she has hurt in her past and she hasn't dealt with the right way. And she's still harboring some resentment towards this situation. And so when he says, honey, where are the keys? She immediately jumps out and says, why are you doing this? Okay. Um, but what's the problem with that? With, with doing that? I mean, there are lots of problems, but give me one. It doesn't accomplish anything. What's the husband going to say? What are you talking about? I didn't blame you for anything. I just asked you where the keys were. Well, don't give me that tone of voice. I knew exactly what you were saying when you said that. You, know, you knew what you were saying. What are you talking about? I didn't know what I'm saying. You know, right? 
You've had these conversations before or something like them. Well, many couples have. I've sat in my office and talked to couples, and they, 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 we've talked about these things before. And sometimes when we break down a conversation, that, like a fight, this is what it comes from. It comes from a misunderstanding. And, and I have just several things here. What cynicism does, it assumes a subtext. Let me explain what that means. It assumes a subtext. It assumes that the speaker is being dishonest about his intentions or her intentions. So cynicism assumes you can read your spouse's mind, okay, or whoever. And cynicism does not allow you to improve or change. Because if the husband is genuinely trying to help his wife and trying to grow in an area, in this particular scenario, and just ask an innocent question, hey, I'm losing my keys. Hey, where are the keys? Hey, honey, do you know where the keys are? And she blows up. Then, he, then what is he going to do? He's typically going to say, well, forget this. I can't handle this. This is ridiculous. She's cr- and this is where a lot of times you get the conversation of, well, he's, he's crazy or she's lost her mind and I can't talk to them, you know, talking past each other. And it often comes from a, when I, when I just, I cynicism. It's, it, you are not hearing and believing your spouse when they talk to you. Now, there's a danger in this. Sometimes if a husband says, Hey, honey, have you seen the keys? What is he actually saying? Where did you play? <laughs> Sometimes he's saying that. But as a spouse, if you are going to love your spouse and believe all things, you need to learn to hear your spouse and what they're saying and believe them at their, this is the hard part, and believe their words. And choose, choose to believe them even though you might be in your mind saying, I think he's making a dig at me right now. Or I think he's saying something, some subtext or something. So this is, da- this is difficult, but I really think the, mo- the more we've worked with people, the more, I mean, I see this all over the place in communication is a big communication problem. And what's amazing to me is when he says believes all things, what he's talking about also, if you look at the next phrase, what's the next one? Hopes all things. So if you're willing to believe your spouse, because if you allow your spouse to make mistakes and you actually hear them with their words, the words they're actually saying instead of just assuming the worst, you will actually start to grow and, the sp- and, 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 and you won't, everything won't deteriorate into bad communication. And then believes all things, but hopes all things means you're looking towards a bright future. It means you have hope for what God has promised. Okay. So... Did I raise any questions with that? Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying with believes all things? That's a little one, but I think, I think it has many big implications for how we communicate with each other. That you need to be very careful when you listen to what someone is saying. And if you respond, especially if you respond harshly, or if you respond in a correcting way, or you respond other than answering the question, or answer the question being asked. Often the question's asked and it's not answered. Because there's an assumption there, well, that's not, you said this, what you meant was this. If you're saying that in your mind, or if you're saying that publicly, you're not believing all things, okay? You have to give your spouse or give the person you're talking to a chance to improve. And sometimes they don't know how they come across often. I've sat with couples before, and I've heard it, and I, it's amazing, Jen and I will go home after a counseling session sometimes, and we're like, you know, we we feel like, we, we, we feel like, I, I, I could see both sides. I knew what was happening. Like, he was saying this, and then she didn't understand because of, her pa- because of the way he hurt her in the past, so she assumed he was saying this. And he may have had that a little bit, but he wasn't trying to. And, you know, 
that kind of stuff happens. So in order to move past that, you have to be willing to hear each other, hear each other's words. Okay? I don't want to belabor it, but I think that's a, something that's worth thinking about. Okay? Hopes all things, and lastly, endures all things. I just, I call this, um, love can see through the challenging present in order to endure. Uh, the enemy of hope believes all things there. The enemy of hope is cynicism, is your blank. Okay. We have five minutes. Any questions or any comments on the first sections, first couple sections here about love? Yeah, Tim. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great. Let me just latch on that for a second. How would you respond if someone says, "Hey, honey, where are my keys?" and your your immediate thought is, "Oh, they're blaming me." I think you hit the nail on the head. A great response would be, "You know, I don't know where your keys are, but I'd be. Can we go look for them? Do you mind? I'll stop what I'm doing and serve you in this moment. That is fantastic. That's a great way because it's putting action. It's putting feet to love." right? It's putting feet to your words. It's not just saying, well, I hope you find them, <laughs> you know, or nope, you know, that's not helpful either. Uh, being willing to, to help is, is good. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great comment. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Brian. That. Um, when we call the garage, we have a key ring. There you go. <laughs> and we always put the keys right there. So yeah, have- yeah, you never, you never, you never have fights about keys. Okay. That's great. Yeah, there are a million ways you can do things like that that will help your marriage. Uh, just talk to Brian. He's got them all. Uh, he knows what they all are. Yes, sir. Um, just thinking about the believes all things and hopes all things, or specifically the believes all things, I think that's really um, integral in my relationship with my kids as well mm. because um, kids aren't born being the best communicators. So it's really easy to just hear what they say, especially if you think of what they've done, because they're always maturing, mm-hmm. and, and think, oh no, they've done it again, mm-hmm. and kind of go down that rabbit hole. Um, but I feel like I've learned and am learning to say, explain yourself a little bit more, give me a little more information, yeah. instead of just you know, going right down that. Yeah, and, and we, are, we are in general, um, this is not against you, we are in general lazy communicators, okay? We hear and then we move on. And I can tell that sometimes I'm talking to people and I'm, I'm making a statement or I'm talking about something and they, they just check out, right? And they're not thinking about what I'm saying anymore. They're just, they all of a sudden have latched onto something they're going to respond to. And so they're just waiting until I stop talking and they have their response. And I, I can tell when that happens. I've probably done that too. But we do that with our kids. If our kids are, we, we immediately assume we know what's happening. We are not God. You do not know what's going on. And you cannot assume that just because the kid um, uh, didn't communicate clearly or didn't uh, articulate clearly that you automatically understand everything that's happening. I think that's very important. Yeah, with, ch- with little children, I think with grown people, grown adults, uh, listening to them, not assuming uh, that you understand everything that's going on, taking them at their word, letting them explain themselves, letting them talk. Uh, the danger here is that you will, you are opening yourself up to, the thing about love is that you're opening yourself up to hurt, okay? Let's just be honest. 
When you love someone and when you're vulnerable with them, you're opening yourself up to being hurt by them. A lot of us don't like that. We'd much rather be defensive and build a little fort where nobody can penetrate and nobody can hurt me, and I'll just be sarcastic and I'll just be ironic and funny and, and biting and have no good relationships so that when nobody, nobody can hurt me if nobody's close to me. Have you ever heard that before? So, so that, again, is not a biblical response. We are to be open and transparent with the understanding that you, you could get hurt. Like, I'm, my wife and I are very close to each other. She could, she could hurt me more than anybody in here could hurt me because she knows me really well. And if she really wanted to, she could really hurt me because we're, we're very vulnerable with each other because we're married to one another. And I think that as you get closer to other people, there is that opportunity. But I think it's a risk worth taking. If you're going to be close to people, if you're going to love people, you're, you're not a detective. That's the other thing I often tell people. You're not, your job is not to like, oh, wait a second, you just said that you came in at 7.33. I looked at my watch. It was 7.31. I caught you in a lie. You know, that kind of a thing where, you, where you're interrogating your spouse or interrogating your child and trying to get to like, I don't think that's necessarily loving. I, I think sometimes I can go overboard. Yeah. But yeah, great, great comment. Great comment. Listen to people and really in, engage with them. Scott, yeah. I couldn't help but notice a correlation when it says, uh, if I give all my goods and give my body, I thought of Job. Yeah. Where Satan took all of his goods and, and took his health, but yet Job was still profitable to God because right. of his love. That's right. He loved the Lord and he, would, he remained. It, those are not, those not make you who you are, right? Very good. Yeah, we're, uh, yes, sir, Andy. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but you can take the word love out of the chapter and replace it with Jesus. Yeah, you can. It's, yeah. it's a perfect, perfect love. Um, Christ gives us the perfect love there, a perfect example of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not going to get into all the details there, but I'd like to just touch on the last section for a moment here before we dismiss, and that is, uh, there's a lot of debate about exactly what this passage is talking about. I'm going to give you my interpretation, and I'm not going to allow you to argue with me tonight, all right? Isn't that loving of me? All right. Um, I, I, take, I take verses 8 through 13 talking about the eternality of love, and the, I put there the temporary and imperfect nature of gifts. He says in verses 8 and 9, love never fails, whether prophecies will fail, tongues will cease, knowledge will vanish away. So, Things that are temporary, like knowledge, tongues, prophecies, because we know in part and we prophesy in part. What I think he's talking about there in the current world in which we live, we know in part, we preach and prophesy in part. We don't fully understand. He says, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. I take that, the tetelion, the perfect, representing the eternal state. And he gives two illustrations here, and I give those in verse 11 and 12. The first illustration um, is the illustration of maturing, the perfect matures. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things, okay? So there's a maturing there from child to man. We all know how we used to think about things when we're kids, and then we go back, you go back to a place where you were when you were a child, like, man, this place is tiny. I thought it was huge. Or, or we, we, we interact with something, watch a movie. I watched a movie. I watched Pinocchio as an adult, the old Pinocchio, that's like the book of Proverbs. That's a I mean, I almost, I, I was amazed. I thought this is a tremendous movie. I mean, I, I didn't pick up on any of this stuff when I was a kid. Um, 
It just scared me, <laughs> right? Uh, there's a maturing that happens. As you're an adult, you see things differently. You understand things differently. You can put away the silliness of childhood, and you embrace maturity. But then there's a perfect, also does the work of clarifying. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. There's a difference in the old, in the old days, uh, the mirrors were polished bronze. And if you looked at a mirror, it was distorted and not at all clear. But then look at how cl- clear you can see someone face to face. He says, that's what it's going to be like when we go from the imperfect to the perfect. And then he says this, he says, I shall know him, uh, for now I know in part, then I shall know as I am known. Wow, that's full knowledge. And I think that's why he's talking about eternity. And then the last, he says, now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Right now is faith, hope, and love. But why does love outlast faith and hope? Without, without, with sight, where's the need for faith? With expectation fulfilled, why is the need for the expectation? Right? Once I was married, I didn't hope to get married. Right? Once we see Jesus, we won't need faith anymore. Once your expectation is fulfilled, it's fulfilled. Once you see Jesus, you don't need... So faith and hope won't be necessary anymore. But guess what will be necessary for eternity? Love. It's been necessary from eternity past and to eternity present. God experienced perfect love in the Trinity, and we will experience perfect love with him in eternity. So I hope that's something to take with you. Invest in that which will last forever. Love your spouse, love your family, love your kids. Love the, love the church and love people in the church. Father, we ask your blessing on tonight. Thank you so much for the time to talk about your word and to talk about love. I pray that we would act in love towards those around us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Have a good night.